Hey church, welcome back to another weekend with us with our online services. We hope to be back physically soon, but until then we're gonna still meet virtually. I've got some great news that I finally get to share with you. As many of you have been on this journey with us as a church family, you know that I've had to get up a number of times and unfortunately share with you news that our construction project has been delayed and they found something else and we're back into the permit process and it's just been delayed again and again and again. Well, here's the good news. We are finally ready. We've got all the official approvals we need and this Monday night, I am so excited to invite you to a groundbreaking ceremony where we're beginning this project to build this building for our children and our youth right here at Coastline Church. Now, uh, we're in the middle of COVID-19, so the groundbreaking ceremony is not gonna be what we really want it to be or what it could have been, uh, but what we are gonna do is what everyone's doing right now is a car parade. So from six o'clock to seven o'clock, we're inviting you to join us in a car parade through our parking lot right here at Coastline Church. I'm gonna be here hosting and we're gonna be celebrating, we're gonna be praying, we're gonna be praising God and worshiping Him that we are beginning this journey. And so we're gonna be moving dirt and breaking ground Monday night. All of the information will be on our website, so go ahead and check that out and then make plans to join us Monday night in a car parade as we drive through this parking lot and celebrate what God is doing through our church family in the middle of this season, which is amazing. Before I get into the message today, let me also let you know that we are doing medical testing for COVID-19 right here at Coastline on our campus. We're partnering with Reliant Urgent Care, a reputable medical company in our community to provide uh, data for the government. This is very important. They need as much data and as much testing as possible to make the best decisions so that we can reopen our economy. Now, it's gonna be an incredible experience because we've got our own radio station set up in our parking lot to tell people people about Jesus, to offer prayer, to offer support as they drive on and wait for their testing. But I want you as our church family to know that you go to the top of the list. So if you would like to be tested, if you'll go right now to this website that they're putting on the screen, uh, you will move to the top of the list and we will prioritize you to be tested if that's something you're interested in doing. I was tested last week. It is completely safe. They have all the secure equipment and hazmat suits and everything you can imagine. So it's a very safe, secure process, but it's our opportunity to provide as much data as possible so that we can reopen our economy. But more than that, it gives us a chance to tell people about Jesus as they're waiting for their test. So it's happening right here at Coastline. All of the information will be online on our website. Well, we're finishing this series that we've been in on Psalm 91. As you know, we began a series uh, and then all of a sudden COVID-19 happened and we had to shift directions at uh, the leading of the Holy Spirit because it was very important we help people understand the protection that God makes available to those who make Him their secret place. And so if you really study Psalm 91, what the whole book is about is intimacy. 
See, here's the danger. Many people can look at Psalm 91 and say, well, if I just memorize it and recite it like a parrot every day, then somehow it'll be this magical incantation or a mantra that God will be obligated to protect me and help me in every way that I want him to protect me and help me. But that's not at all what Psalm 91 is about. It's all about intimacy. It's all about making a choice as a follower of Christ to make God your secret place. It's not something you earn. It's not a law. It's not legalistic. It's simply about wanting to know God and be close to him. And today, as we finish off, we're looking at the very last three verses of the chapter, and they're all connected. And the whole perspective of the chapter changes. So what I titled this message is God's response to our response. What is God's response to our response? Because we have a response in Psalm 91, but the beautiful thing is God moves on response to our response. So if you look at the last three verses of Psalm 91, the shift in perspective, what takes place is God is now speaking directly. See, all of the chapter up until this point was talking about God. Now God himself speaks up. God begins to share his thoughts, his feelings, his heart for you and I. So I'm going to read this together and then we're going to pull it apart. Psalm 91 verses 14 to 16. It says, because he, talking about us, have have set their lovers, he has set his love upon me, God says. Therefore, I will deliver him. I will set him on high. Why? Because he has known my name. You see, our response, God's response. God goes on to say, he shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. And I love this part. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. I'm going to show him my salvation. Now, don't get hung up on the word him. I know we live in a politically, excuse me, politically correct world. Uh, I wish we could go back and edit that out of the message. But, you know, when, you, when you're recording, you're recording. Um, we live in a politically correct world where people don't like to use like him. They want it to be, you know, uh, uh, open to being him and her. Just know the Bible is not just talking about males exclusively in this chapter. This applies to both men and women. Followers of Christ is what it applies to. I just, I felt like I needed to say that for somebody because there are people who get hung up on the word him thinking, well, is this just for men? No, it's not for men. It's for followers of Christ. Whether you're a man or you're a woman, it just writes in this context back in that uh, period of time. So let me read to you these three verses, and then we're going to pull them apart. Now, again, this is God speaking. This is the, the, the transition in the chapter. It goes from our perspective to now God's perspective. God says, because he has set his love upon me. Therefore, I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. Now, when it says he, it doesn't mean men. It means followers of Christ. So just don't get hung up on the word he. It means he or she is what it means. It goes on to say, he shall call upon me. And God says, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I love this part, I will satisfy him and show him my 
salvation. Beautiful, beautiful picture of God's heart for us. God, God spoke up and he wants you to know these things are true. So in this, you see God's response to our response. Let's, let's first start with our response. You see three things that we do in these three verses that move the heart of God to respond to us. God says, because number one, we have set our love upon him. We have set our love upon him. Now, what's very interesting here is the word love is not the typical word love that is used all throughout the Old Testament. The typical word is ahab. That's the typical word for love. Here, it's kashak. Kashak means to be attached to or attached. It's a different type of love. It's not just an emotional, I love you, God. I feel for you, God. It's not the love that you see in the Shema, you shall love the Lord your God. This is a love that means to be attached to. You're attached. It's not about us loving God perfectly either. You see, if it's very dangerous, you could take this and make it a legalistic uh, doctrine that it's not. God's not saying you've got to love me Perfectly. I mean, think about it. Wouldn't you agree that anything, any doctrine in the Bible that is dependent on our efforts of doing something perfectly is built on a shaky foundation? Because none of us will ever be able to do it perfectly. That's why we need God's grace. What it's really asking you is, are you attached to God? In other words, are you dependent on God? Think about your children. I've got a three-year-old at home. Do you realize he is attached to us? Like he can't survive on his own. He can't feed himself. He doesn't know how to change his own diaper yet. He doesn't know how to dress himself. There are so many things that he cannot do for himself that he has had to learn how to attach himself to us. In other words, he has set his love upon us as his parents. He just trusts. That's why Jesus says that we're to have the faith of a child. My three-year-old son has faith in us. He doesn't worry about how we're going to pay for dinner. He doesn't worry about how food is going to show up in our house. He just trusts that every night dinner is going to be served. And the reason he trusts us is because he set his love upon us. He has attached himself to us. He knows that we are his provider. He knows that we are the ones that care for him and take care of him and provide everything he needs. And that's the context here. Have you made yourself dependent on God? Have you made yourself? It's not this, oh God, I love you. It's have you set your love upon him? All throughout the message today, I'm going to show you in the book of Daniel how Daniel is one of the clearest pictures of seeing Psalm 91 in action, manifested in, in real time. And you see this in Daniel chapter one, verse eight, where it says, Daniel purposed in his heart, purposed in his heart. It means the same thing as set his love upon. He purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank, Therefore, he requested of the chief of eunuchs that he might not defile himself. He says, look, I've set my love upon my God. I can't defile myself. I'm attached to God. I'm dependent on him. And if this gets me in trouble, it gets me in trouble. But I will not violate the love that I have for my God because I am attached to my God. Daniel chapter one. 
The second response you see that we make in this chapter, the first thing is it says we set our love upon God. The second thing is we have known his name. We have known his name. Now, this is very interesting. You see, a name in the Bible times described who you were. It was, it was your personhood. It was so much more than what a name is today. A name represented your reputation. It represented your honor. It represented uh, who you were, your status, your position in life. And all throughout this chapter, we've seen the names of God. The God is Elohim the powerful creative one. God is Shaddai, the, the almighty, the unconquerable one. That God is El Elyon, the, the most high and exalted, the lifted up. He's Yahweh, the personal God that we can have relationship with. All throughout the Bible, names have meaning. So when it says they've known your name, it means they know the person intimately. They know the deepest part of who they are. They know their character. They know their essence. They know the very, uh, the very dear things to their heart. And this word known is the word yada, yada. And, and, it's, and it's this closeness. And again, you see it in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter three, you've got Shadrach, Meshach, in Abednego, and, and they're on trial for their life. They're about to get thrown into a fiery furnace. And here's what they say. If that is the case, because they got some evil people who tricked the king and the king sets up this idol and he makes everyone bow down or they're going to get thrown into the fire. And they say to the king, if that is the case, look, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from this burning, fiery furnace. They said, look, our God. See, you can't make a statement like that if you don't know him intimately. If you don't know that he is able, if you don't know that he is Shaddai, if you don't know that he is Elohim, if you don't know that he is El Elyon, you don't make a statement like that. Do you know God? And again, this word know is yada. In the Greek, it's the equivalent to ganasko. And here's how powerful this word yada and ganasko is. Genesis 4 verse 1, it says, Adam knew yada Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore a son. You see, this word yada is the, the most powerful form of intimacy two human beings can share that can actually produce offspring. That's how intimate this word is. In the New Testament, it's the word ganasco. Luke 1, 34, then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? Like, I can't be pregnant. The angel comes to Mary, says, you're going to be pregnant. And you're going to have a child, and his name is Jesus. And she said, how can I be pregnant? I've never known. I've never ganasko, yada, with a man. You see, that's the power here in Psalm 91. They yada my name. You see, it's one thing to know the definition of Elohim. It's one thing to know the definition of Shaddai or the definition of El Elyon or the definition of Yahweh. There are plenty of Bible scholars who understand the biblical meaning and definition, but that doesn't mean they yada the name. That doesn't mean they ganasco the name. This is so powerful. Let me, let me, let me show you how Jesus illustrates this in Matthew chapter seven. And, and this should haunt you a little bit and really help you understand it's not about being a religious person. It's not about being even a good Christian. It's about 
knowing God intimately. Jesus in Matthew 7, verse 21 says, not everyone, not everyone. Listen to me. This is Jesus speaking. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Look at that. Not everyone who claims to be a Christian. Not everyone who thinks that they're going to heaven. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. This is Jesus speaking. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name. Done many wonders in your name. These people were, were religious people. They were church people. They were busy. I mean, in, in our culture and context, have we not served on the dream team faithfully for years? Didn't we tithe? Didn't we lead Sunday school classes? Didn't we go out on outreaches and help feed the poor and the broken and those that were in need? And Jesus responds in verse 23, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. I never gnosko, yada, you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That should haunt you a little bit. Not everybody who claims to be a Christian. You see, when Peter denied Christ in the garden, when the little girl said, said, you were with Jesus, and Peter said, I don't know that man, that's the Greek word ido, which is to proceed with physical eyesight. Jesus is not saying, I've never seen you before. Jesus is not saying, I don't know who you are. Jesus is saying, I've never had gnosko with you. We've never been intimate. We've never been close. We've never been close. Yes, you know all about me, but you don't know me. You see, I know all about our president. I know all about our previous president. I don't know them. I'm not intimate with them. I don't have a relationship with them. You see, you can know all about somebody and not know that person. And that's what it's saying here because you have known my name. You see, this whole chapter is about intimacy. See, this isn't some magic trick where you just quote this out loud and all of a sudden God is obligated to, to, to you know, snap to it, God's not a genie in a bottle. In other words, this is all about being close to him, being in relationship with him. And then here's the third response. We have called upon him. It says we have called upon him. Verse 15 in Psalm 91, he shall call upon me. Now, I hear this a lot in the church and it really breaks my heart. People say this all the time. Well, you only run to God when you get in trouble. You only run to God when you get in trouble. You only run to God when something bad happens. But that's the context of this verse. I mean, he's saying you're calling upon me because you're in trouble. Call upon me when you're in trouble and I will answer. That's the whole context of this chapter is trouble, heartache, problems. In other words, what it's saying is when you do get in trouble and you will get in trouble in this life, Jesus promised you're going to have trouble. You're going to have problems. You're going to have trials. Run to God. Don't be embarrassed to run to God. Look, there's some of you watching this right now and you're watching this because you got in trouble and you're running to God right now and and you feel a little guilt because you haven't been to church in a long time and you haven't done anything for God in a long time and you know right now because you're in trouble, because of whatever's going on in the world, you're running to God and you got a little bit of shame that, can I tell you, it's okay. This is what God wants. 
God wants you to run to him when you're in trouble. That's his heart. That's the whole context of what it's saying right here. In the book of Daniel, chapter 6, verse 10, it says, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, you see some evil guys tricked the king into setting up a law that they knew Daniel would have to violate because Daniel loved God and Daniel prayed to God. And so they had the king set up a law that you couldn't pray to anybody but the king. And if you prayed to anyone, like if you prayed to the Hebrew God or the God of Daniel or, or the God, then you would be thrown into a lion's den. So what does Daniel do? Well, as soon as he knows that the law is in effect, he went home, goes into his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, got down on his knees and prayed. What did he do? He called out to God. He got in trouble. He called out to God. Here's the question. Who do you call out to when you get in trouble? Psalm 50 verse 15 puts it like this. Call upon me in the day of trouble. Can I tell you? God wants you to call on him when you're in trouble. I mean, it doesn't get more clear than that. Call upon me when you're, when you're going through a hard time, when you're going through difficulty, when everything bad begins to fall apart all around you, call upon me. And God says, I will deliver you. See, unfortunately, many people don't call upon God. They call upon anything else. They get in trouble, they call upon drugs, they call upon alcohol prescription medication. I know a lot of people, they call upon worry. Like they get in trouble, they get the kids to bed, they get on the phone, they call worry, they say, hey, what are you doing? You wanna come over and hang out? Let's just hang out for a little while. I need some good worry. Worry is a false reality, by the way. Worry creates this illusion. You can actually control the situation. That's why you worry. You know, the funny thing is you worry and then uh, something, you know, distracts you and takes your mind away from the worry for a few minutes. And then all of a sudden you panic because you realize you haven't been worrying for 20 minutes and you got to get back there because you believe somehow if you worry enough, you'll change the situation. Who do you call when you get in trouble? Do you know why we can call out, by the way, to God? Because there was a point in Jesus's life when he cried out to God, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? And Jesus was forsaken by his father so that you and I, when we call to God, will never be forsaken. Paul puts it like this. We will never, never, never be forsaken by God. It's beautiful. So God says, because, because you call upon me, because you know my name, because you set your love upon me, that he will. Now here's his response to our response. Number one, deliver us. He's gonna deliver us. It's a picture of the lion's den. So Daniel goes home and prays. They catch him praying. They throw him into the lion's den. Here's a picture of what God does when we call to him when we're in trouble. Daniel 6, verse 20 through 22. And when he came to the den, this is talking about the king, because the king loved Daniel. The king regretted that he made the law. The king was upset, that, but, but, but he couldn't change the law because once it was in effect, not even the king himself could change it. So he comes to the den, he cries out with a lamenting voice because he's sad and he doesn't know if his friend is dead. To Daniel, the king spoke saying, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? And I can only imagine the, the, the pause, the silence with the king wondering. Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God 
My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Now, let me, let me point out the obvious about this story. The obvious is there's a lion's den. Psalm 91 doesn't mean you're never gonna be thrown into a lion's den. Don't misunderstand this. Jesus promised you're gonna have trouble in this life. Jesus promised there's gonna be storms. What Psalm 91 says is God will deliver you out of the lion's den. But there's gonna be lion's den in this life. Here's the second thing, God will set us on high. He'll set us on high. Again, Daniel chapter six, the king pulls him out of the lion's den. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up. They, they exalted him. They brought him up. They, they took him up from the pit, out of the den, so that Daniel was taken out, out of the den. And I love this. No injury whatsoever was found on him because he believed in his God. God elevated him. God brought him out of the pit. You know, this is real. When you go to Israel, I, I hope that you get a chance to go to Israel with me one day. We're going to be going next March. When you're standing in the Wadi Kelt and, and you look at all of the crevices on these hills and you look down into these little wadis, these little ravines, there's flash floods that come unannounced. And every year, Bedouin families lose their life because they're, they're down camping in these wadis. And all of a sudden, a flash flood comes out of Jerusalem. You know, in the high ground, the waters form. And then it, it becomes this raging flash flood down in the, the desert, the wilderness area. And it just takes people's life. So when you see this phrase set on high throughout the, the, this, this nomad life, this Bedouin life, what it's talking about is God lifts you up so when the flash floods come, you don't lose your life. It's a beautiful picture. The third response of God is it says he answers us. God answers us. When we call to him, God will answer. In Daniel chapter two, the king has a dream. And none of the wise men of the land can interpret the dream. So the king orders that all the wise men are going to be killed. And this includes Daniel. And then somebody said, you know what? There, there's a Hebrew. There, there, there's this Jewish guy that we took as a slave out of Jerusalem. And he's been known to interpret dreams. And so the king brings in Daniel. And Daniel goes back to his friends and say, we got to pray. We got we to call upon God. We need an answer from God or we're all going to lose our life. And in Daniel chapter 2, verse 18, it says, that they sought the mercies from the God of heaven concerning the secret, the dream that the king had. So Daniel and his companions might not perish and the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. God answered. God gave him the answer. God showed up and answered, saving their life. Here's the fourth thing. God says, I will be with you in trouble. Again, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have lion's dens. But the beautiful picture is God says, I will be with you in trouble. I want you to think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember, remember those guys? They were thrown into the fiery furnace. Again, the king sets up this, this idol. And, 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 and you know, we saw them earlier in this message. And they were the ones that said, you know, look, you know, our God's able to deliver. Well, look how God delivered. God didn't prevent them from being thrown into the fiery furnace. They, they got thrown into the fiery furnace. But look what happens. The king is looking in the fiery furnace in Daniel chapter 3, verse 25. And he answered and he says, I see four men. But they only threw in three. He says, I see four men loose. All the fire did to these three guys was, was burn the ropes off of them. It just freed them from the bondage that they were in. 
walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth, the fourth man that I see walking with these guys is like the son of God. You see, that was Jesus in the book of Daniel. Jesus was with them in the fiery furnace. Can I tell you, God will be with you in trouble. And I love the result because when Jesus goes through trouble with you, here's what happens. They saw these men on whose bodies, look at this, the fire had no power. Like they went into the fiery furnace, but it had no power on them. And the hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected. And I love this part. And the smell of fire was not on them. I know a lot of people who survive trouble, but they smell like smoke. They survive, but they're all banged up. They're all beat up. Can I tell you, there's a way to go through trouble with Jesus where you can come out of the trouble without even the smell of smoke on your clothes. Here's the fifth thing. God says, I will honor you. I will honor you. Daniel chapter two, verse 48, he interprets the dream to the king and it goes on to say, the king promoted Daniel. The king honored him, promoted him, esteemed him, gave him many great gifts and made him the ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. The sixth thing it says, and one of my favorites, it says, I will satisfy you with long life. Satisfy us with long life. Can I ask you a question? Have you ever asked God for a specific amount of years? Because what I love about this phrase is God says, I'm not gonna satisfy me with your life. I'm gonna satisfy you with your life. There's a big difference there. God's not gonna say, I'm not gonna keep you alive until I'm satisfied. And then when I'm satisfied, you're gone. No, he says, I'm gonna give you the choice. I'm gonna let you decide what, what satisfies you, 70 years? What satisfies you, 80 years? Have you ever asked God to live to 100? It says here, God is going to allow you the satisfaction of long life. And that's different for all of us. Look, I know Psalm 90 verse 10 says the days of our life are 70 years and if by reason of strength they're 80 years, but that was talking to people under wrath if you study the whole chapter. Do you realize we're not under wrath anymore? Jesus took all of God's wrath on the cross so that we could receive life and health from him. I would encourage you, decide what satisfies you and ask God for it. Ask God for what satisfies you. And then finally, number seven, it says, I will show him my salvation. Show us his salvation. Now, here's the powerful thing. I was studying this this week. And one of the things I like to do when I study is I like to read, read it in, in, if it's Old Testament Hebrew or New Testament Greek, and I just go through every word. And just, I don't read Greek or Hebrew. I'm not that smart. Uh, but I know how to look up each word and read the definition and read the meaning and read the context. I look up this word salvation in Hebrew. It's the word Yeshua. Yeshua. That may sound familiar because that's the name of Jesus in Hebrew. Hebrew, Jesus, when he was on earth in the New Testament, his name was Yeshua. It's been translated as Jesus in our language, but it's the word Yeshua. Jesus' name means salvation. God hides Jesus in Psalm 91. God gets to the very end of it and says, I'm gonna show you Jesus. I'm gonna show you my grace. I'm gonna show you my salvation. And, you, and, I, and I told you, it's all in the book of Daniel. 
twice in the book of Daniel. Daniel, well, three times, because we read about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but in Daniel chapter seven, Daniel says, I watched till thrones were put in place and the ancient of days was seated. His garment was white as snow and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame and its wheels a burning fire. Yeshua, God's salvation. Daniel 10, I lifted my eyes and looked and behold a certain man clothed in linen whose waist was girded with gold of Ephaz. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude, Yeshua. God says, I will satisfy him with long life. Daniel was blessed to live a long life. And I will show him my salvation. And at the end of Daniel's life, God gives him these visions and shows him Jesus. It's all about Jesus. The question that I have for you as we end Psalm 91 is, do you know him? Do you know him? Because all of this is available to you, but it's available when you're intimate with him. You see, this isn't a law. It's not a law to set your love upon him. It's not a law to know his name. It's not a law to call upon him. It's a relationship. It's intimacy to say, I wanna be attached to him. It's intimacy to say, I wanna know him intimately. I wanna know the, 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 the inner workings of his heart. It's intimacy to call out to him when you're in trouble. My three-year-old boy, when he gets in trouble or he gets hurt or he falls down, dada, dada, he calls out to me. And can I tell you, every time I hear that, I answer him. I answer. God will answer you if you call out to him. And so if you're joining us today and you're not a Christ follower, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to know him. I want to invite you to yada to know his name, his character, his love, his salvation, and let him show you Jesus, the Jesus that died for you, the Jesus that went to a cross and paid for all of your sin so that you could receive forgiveness and be saved. And if you've never done that before, if you've never made that decision, or maybe you're here and you're watching this and you need to recommit yourself because it's been a long time since you've been on fire. Maybe you're that person who's gotten in trouble and you turn this on because you're in trouble and you don't know what to do, call out to him. He will welcome you home. He'll welcome you back. He'll welcome you into his family. There is grace for everyone that wants it. It's available. And so if that's you, I want you to just respond right now. On your screen, wherever, there, there's a little button that says, you, you can raise your hand, you can make a decision. Maybe you're not watching on our live platform, you're on Facebook or, or, or somewhere else, YouTube. Just put it in the comment section that I'm making a decision for Jesus and let somebody on our team connect with you and pray with you. And I want you to just stop real quick and, and say a prayer with me. Just right now, say, Jesus, today, I give you my heart, I give you my life. Forgive me of all of my sin. I want to know you. Thank you for welcoming me into your family in the name of Jesus. Thank you for making that decision. Now, I wanna encourage you, connect with a church family. Connect with us, connect with another church family. God designed you to do this in a community. In fact, God saves you to set you 
in a family. God doesn't save you for you to do this thing on your own. He saves you to be a part of his community and his family. We'd love to welcome you. And everyone else, let me give you some homework as we end today. I want you to take these last three verses and I want you to rewrite them with your name in the middle of it. And I want you to say this. And I don't want you to just recite it. I want you to say it. I want, I want it to come out of your heart as intimacy, out of your heart as a relationship with God. But just rewrite it with your own word. Because Aaron, and I want you to imagine God saying this over your life, because Aaron has set his love upon me. Therefore, I will deliver Aaron. I will set Aaron on high because Aaron has known my name. Aaron shall call upon me and I will answer Aaron. I will be with Aaron in trouble. I will deliver Aaron and honor Aaron. With long life, I will satisfy Aaron and I'm gonna show Aaron my salvation. Yeshua, Jesus. I'm telling you, put your name in there and read it out loud and just hear God speaking it over your life and draw close to him. All of this is available when you make him the secret place. Again, it's that word because. Because there is a response on our behalf. But God's response because of our response is beautiful. Thanks for joining us this week. Looking forward to being back with you next week.